Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. Have you ever been, um, have you ever been humbled before? What's like the most humiliating moment you've ever gone through in your life? <laughs> you don't have to say it out loud. I'll never forget when uh, I was on cloud nine because I made the, uh, in, my, in seventh grade, I won the class spelling bee. And uh, if anyone knows me, I'm not the best speller. All right. And I, I won, I think it's because all of my other friends didn't want to be, go to the spelling bee, like the school one. So I won. I was like, all right, fine. You guys don't want to take the cup? I am. I'm going for it. And uh, I was so confident. I remember they were giving softball words. And so I'm in front of like, got the school parents are watching. The first word I get was cat, you know, C-A-T, I get it. And then the second word I come, I'm super confident. And the word was hospital. And I spelled it completely wrong. So I think I said uh, hospital. That's how I say it. So I put O-L instead of A-L at the end. And uh, my pride totally just was gone. My confidence. Like, why am I even here if I can't even spell the word hospital? Uh, It's so bad. But Daniel chapter 5 is another one of those moments, just like Daniel chapter 4, where we see a confident, arrogant king uh, be brought low. And Daniel chapter 5 concludes the section of Daniel regarding the Babylonian Empire. And what we've learned thus far is that Babylon was a great nation. It had great kings, but it wasn't very stable. And that's because King Nebuchadnezzar himself in chapters 1 through 4, he's described as the most powerful king. He's very prideful, arrogant. He's confident. Well, at the same time, he's fragile. He's insecure and he's weak. He's afraid. Right? And God tells him over and over and over again, your kingdom's going to fall. You're going to fall. Repent. Right? And God is trying to establish the fact that the suffering people, Israel, who are exiles in a foreign land, trying to please the Lord in a foreign land. And he's writing to them, trying to encourage them and remind them that God he is on the throne. He's in control and he sets up kings and he takes down kings. And also to be wary of the prideful, for he will... Bring them low and exalt the humble. And chapter 5 is just a continuation of that theme. And here's the theme for us. Daniel chapter 5, summary, one sentence. Our God levels human arrogance by revealing to mankind that he is the one who reigns on the throne. Our God levels human arrogance. How? By showing mankind that he is the one who truly reigns. And so why don't we read the whole entire chapter together? All right, we've got 30 verses. So I'm going to read it and get into the exposition. So Daniel chapter 5, you with me? Here we go. Here's the story. <clears throat> King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar... When he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father or ancestor, really, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, be brought that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. 
So they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king, his lords, his wives, and concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the finger of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite of the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. And the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around its neck, his neck and shall be the third ruler in all the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing and make it known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the kings and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods... In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and the enchanters have brought before me, uh, were brought in before me to read the writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show me the interpretation. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you could read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third in the ruler of the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive, and whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys." He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he wills. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. 
But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this was the writing that was inscribed on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered your days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and proclamation was made about him that he should be ruler, third ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was assassinated. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. You guys did it. Tonight, we're going to follow the plot line with three points, okay? We're going to look at the defiance of the king, the desperation of the king, and the disdain of the king, okay? So first off, in verses 1 through 9, we start off with this new character, this Belshazzar guy. Who is he? Where did he come from? And why do Babylon people give such weird names to their children? Like, come on, right? Well, history teaches us that Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 BC after 43 years of reigning. That's chapters 1 through 4. And after him came a series of kings whose reign were short-lived due to family drama. Like it would have been a reality TV show. A couple of Nebuchadnezzar's sons were killed. Kings assassinated. And so then you get to the reign of Nabonidus. Why that name? I don't know. Who's tr- who has trust issues. And so he's reigning from 500 miles away. And he has set up Belshazzar as the co-regent or co-king, which is why he's like, I'll give you, I'll make you third in the kingdom. It's because he is second. Okay, that's who Belshazzar is. He's an ancestor of Nebuchadnezzar. And so this Belshazzar, obviously, he hasn't learned from any of his ancestors and he is filled with confidence. And history tells us that the Medo-Persian army was at this point of the story surrounding Babylon. But Babylon's cities were so fortified that this Belshazzar king was so confident in them that he decides to throw a party even on the brink of war. And so he he throws this drunken debauchery. Uh, sexual immorality, all in this party. He's th- he throws it with wine, women, and worship, right? And then to top off his arrogance, he decides to make a toast in front of thousands, right? And this toast is to the Babylonian gods of wood, gold, silver, bronze. And he's going to make this toast in the temple vessels that were brought from the true and living God. What is he doing? He's saying, Judah, Israel, your God is a sham. He's a loser. And he's making a statement about how the Babylonian gods are so much greater and he is so much greater than they in front of thousands. Which should make us 
pause in this story. You read verses 1 through 4, right? And you're like, things are a little too good to be true. And any of you that have seen a, a scary movie, this is the part of the movie where the family's just rejoicing, having a great time. It's dark outside, and the camera pans in close, and it starts to turn a little bit, and you know, you just know something's going to just jump right out, right? And you're getting ready for it. Well, that's exactly the plot here. What does it say in verse 5? As soon as he praises the gods, immediately God sends this finger, the fingers of a human hand. I wonder if it was calloused or not. I wonder what it looked like. It would be interesting. Uh, you know, a human hand starts writing on the wall. And Belshazzar is, once the arrogant, confident king is now about to throw up his meal, his knees are knocking, you know, and he's, he's freaking out. And so Belshazzar goes to make a statement about his God. And God is like, no, I'm going to make a statement out of you. So what is the application in just these verses in verses 1 through 9? The first thing that we clearly see is that sin is ultimately defiance against God. I think sometimes we think of sin as like just getting a little parking ticket or it's not that big of a deal. I just messed up. But really, when you break God's law, which that's what sin is, it it is defiance against God. It's an active, rebellious, prideful attitude against God. It's not an accidental mess up. So what does defiance look like? It happens when defiance happens in your life when you don't obey the word of God. When you would rather follow your feelings rather than what the word of God says. When you would rather go your own way when you know God's way is a different way. When you covet after someone else's possessions. When you defy your parents, you are defying the living God. When you dwell on ungodly thoughts, that is an act of defiance. And so I think what we want to learn here is that Belshazzar isn't just unaware of God. He is actively defying against God. And that's what sin is. It's defiance to God's law. And then the second thing we learn is that defiance flows out of a heart that is filled with idolatry. Idolatry is really at the root of your sin. So if your sin is the bad fruit that comes off of a tree, where did that come from? It comes from a diseased tree. And that the roots can be traced down to idolatry. We see this in the text. See, God doesn't come right away with the finger of judgment when he's throwing the party. But it isn't until he takes the temple vessels and then in verse 4 drinks the wine out of them and praises other gods. And so it is his idolatry worship that leads him to this defiance. And that's what you need to understand. That when you sin, when you are disobedient to your parents, when you lust in your heart, When you are filled with anger or even anxiety because you don't have control, what really that is showing is a worship problem. It's an idolatry problem. What is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. So whenever you are looking, when when you sin, it's because you are going after something That will give you hope, happiness, significance, or security. 
When you sin, not only are you pursuing something that God says not to, but you are defying God in the act. And this is, I believe, at the heart of the reason why God brings this judgment. It wasn't necessarily the wine or the sexual immorality. It was the idolatrous heart that rejects and defies against God. And so when you disobey your parents, you need to realize that that is a worship problem. You want to be in control. It's an idolatry problem. When you lust after a man or a woman in your heart, it's because you are worshiping those things rather than God. When, when you are a slave to what you eat and your problems with body image, it's because you're worshiping those things rather than God. You're finding satisfaction in those things rather than in God. When you're so consumed with performing well in school, you have a worship problem. It's worship. So you have to see that sin isn't just some behavior, behavioral things that because you're in a bad mood, you do these things. It's because you are actively defying against God. And it's because you're trying to find your worth, your significance, your security, happiness, and hope in things other than God. And Romans 1 tells us that the wrath of God is upon those who are unrighteous, which Paul describes as those who worship the creature rather than the creator. Idolatry is at the heart of God's judgment. That's what we learn from this. Do you view your sin that way? No, I don't sometimes. That's why God is opposed to the proud and opposed to sin. Because it's a rejection of him. Secondly, the second section we get into is this pride of Belshazzar then leads him to be desperate. Just like all sin, right? Sin never satisfies. It only leaves you desperate for more. And so the second part we see is the desperation of the king. He's desperate for answers. He calls in his religious authorities, but they can't give him an answer until the queen mother, look at verse 10, the queen mother comes and saves the day. I love that. Mommy to the rescue, which in and of itself is humbling for a grown man. And so the queen mother comes in, Belshazzar being desperate for answers. She essentially tells him, hey, remember this Daniel guy? who is known throughout all of Babylon. He used to be second in command, like he's known. He's known for his wisdom and insight and matters like this. Don't you remember him? You should call him. See, what's interesting is Belshazzar knows who Daniel is. But he disregards him as a worthless Jew. Where is Daniel? Daniel's been in chapters one through four. He's been at the, like, helping the king at every point. But Belshazzar is so prideful, he doesn't even want to call Daniel. He doesn't even want Daniel on his party. Daniel's probably off praying. He's got better things to do. Anyway. And so, being desperate, the king summons Daniel in verses 13 through 16. And it's hard to see this in your English versions, but the way that King Belshazzar shows, uh, speaks to Daniel, it shows that he literally has no respect for him. I'll try to read it in that way. Look at verse 13. Remember, Belshazzar is drunk. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of those exiles out of Judah, right? Whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. Like, who are you? You're a nobody. You're an exile. You're a loser. 
He's dogging on Daniel. He's being rude. He's being condescending. Belshazzar is so inflated with pride that not only does he blaspheme God's te- God through the temple vessels, but he totally dogs God's messenger. Isn't that what the Jews did to Jesus? <laughs> Isn't that what we see all throughout Scripture? Isn't that what sinners do? The very thing that could give them help is the very thing they're blinded from seeing. To put it another way, in his view, Belshazzar, both the God of Israel and Daniel himself are losers, and yet they are his only hope of help. He is desperate, yet he is so blinded by sin, he puts down the very thing that can help him. So what's the application here? Pride, self-infatuation, self-inflation, self-centeredness, and arrogance blinds you from seeing just how desperate you are for help in your sin. That's what pride does. Like Like how a fish doesn't know how wet he is. Or like a poor man who lives his whole life not knowing that he won the lottery and is a millionaire. That's what pride does. It blinds you from seeing who you really are. It blinds you from seeing just how desperate the human condition and human heart is. It's what keeps you from seeing your sin rightly. It keeps you from breaking your heart when you sin against God. It's why you keep going back and back and back because your pride has blinded you. This is what pride and idolatry do. They blind you from your problem and your need. I also find it interesting that when life-threatening, scary things happen to people, the very first inclination is they turn to religion, right? He didn't know where to go, Belshazzar. And so he turns to his religion, right, his paganism. And they can't answer the interpretation. I think that's very true even of you in here and of our world, is when problems, suffering, trials come, that is when most people turn to religion. But they do it for the wrong reasons, For many of you, in your desperation, you look inward. You look to yourself for the answers. You look to yourself to pull yourself up out of the the dirt, out of the mire, and out of your situation. And you can just try harder. But when you rely on your own self-righteousness, you know what you're saying to God? You're saying, I do not need you. You're doing the very thing that Belshazzar is doing. Maybe you even bargain with God. God, if you will help me out of this mess... I will give my life to you. But you won't give your life to him when times are good? What does that show? It shows that you really don't come to God for God. You just come to get help. If you've ever bargained with God like that, that's what it's saying. You're demeaning who God is. And this is what pride and idolatry do. They blind you from seeing your need. And we disregard the very one, that is God, who can help us. In 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 23, Paul says this. He says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. That would be us. 
And so here's the idea of the gospel. It's crazy. Is that a crucified Messiah was the very thing that the Jews and us needed, but the thought of it was contradictory. A crucified Messiah? Deuteronomy said that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. How can a damned Messiah be a saving Messiah? And so the Jews scorned. They laughed at the gospel message. Whereas the Greeks or this world and the modern man, I I would say, the message of the cross is folly to them. It makes no sense. A suffering savior, savior who's not from a rich and politically elite home, he's not reasonable. He's not cool. He's not sleek. Is that even a word? I don't even know. See, Jews demand signs, but Greeks seek wisdom. And Americans want therapy, but we preach Christ, the crucified one. See, we're not so different from Belshazzar. A cast-off Jew of the God we despise is our only hope. And that's Jesus, right? The very thing we need, we're blinded to. Not all desperate people respond to God's grace and repent and turn to him. But some, they dig their heels in, and they lastly, we see, they disdain the living God. They, dis- they disdain, the- so we see the disdain of the king. And we see this in the last speech in verses 17 all the way to verse 31 that Daniel gives to Belshazzar. What's really interesting here, for those of you that have been here, Daniel's been pretty kind and tender with Nebuchadnezzar. But in this speech to Belshazzar, he goes right for the jugular. He, he, He addresses his pride head on. Daniel, this is like 20 years past chapter 4. So Daniel's probably around 75 years old, okay? We started off when he was a teenager. Now he's 75, around 75-ish, around that. And he doesn't just give, what the king, uh, just give the king what he wants to hear, but he gives him what he needs to hear, which is why he goes into all the history about King Nebuchadnezzar. He's reminding him of the letter King Nebuchadnezzar wrote to all of Babylon, regarding what God had done for him and how he was humbled. And so Daniel wants Belshazzar to understand why it is he's about to be judged. And isn't that merciful on God's part? That he doesn't just judge Belshazzar, but he makes sure he understands why. There's a mercy there. And even now, you, hearing this, receive mercy from God. So why? Why is it? Let's read verses 18 and on. Why is there judgment upon Belshazzar? Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. This is the crux, the climax of this whole story. O king, you, O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, All people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. And so the first thing that we see right in the text in verse 18 is that Daniel wants to make sure that Belshazzar understands that it is God who gave Nebuchadnezzar all of his prestige, all of his power, all of his glory, that it is the sovereign God who bestows riches and a kingdom upon kings. Make sure you get that, Belshazzar. And so you should have known this, he, he's, right, he's telling him. And because the greatness that he gave him, we see that again, 
All peoples, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. And whom he would he killed, he kept alive. And whom he would he raised up. And whom he would he humbled. He was a great king. But when his heart was filled, verse 20, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne. And his glory was taken from him. He was driven from the children of man. He was given a mind like an ox. He lived in the wilderness with donkeys. He was wedded with the dew of heaven. And verse 22, here it is. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. Belshazzar knew all of this, and he did not humble his heart. But he lifted up himself against God. What do we learn from this? The problem for for Belshazzar was not ignorance, but it was disdain against God. He opposed and refused to acknowledge the Lord of heaven by not humbling himself, though he knew. He knew what God had done to his father. He knew about it all, yet he did not humble himself. He did not care. He was indifferent. He was insolent. He was rebellious. Student, here's here's the main concern that I have for all of you here at Redeemer, a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, is this. Having the right information about God does not guarantee the right response. Did you hear that? Having the right theology, the right doctrine, the right understanding of God does not understand that you have had a proper response to God. It does not guarantee that you are saved. Belshazzar knew, yet it did not matter. His heart was far from him. Having the right data does not bring about required change. And this is the message of the world. Why is there so much problem in our society? Why are there these people that are, are thinking these, these way? See, and they preach that the problems in society are due to a lack of educating people. Why don't we educate them more? They need training on this. They need race-relating training. They need LGBTQ training. They need this kind of training. They need all these training. And then if we train them enough, then society will be good. If we train students, so what happens when you take drugs? Then they're not going to take drugs. If we train people if they, you know, to put, wear a seatbelt, what happens when they don't wear a seatbelt? Then they'll wear a seatbelt. But is that true? It's not. Having the right knowledge does not save your soul. Belshazzar knew, and it did not matter. How many of you know the truth, but it does not change your heart towards God and his commands? You still disregard your parents' authority. You're still a terror at home. You're still enslaved to your sin. You don't realize how bad it is. Yes, you may even confess it. You may have prayed to God before. (laughs) But it's just because you feel bad and because that's the right thing to do. It's not because you want God. It's not because you are seeking after him. See, the truth is important, but you need the power to receive the truth and to respond to it properly. You could have the truth, but if you don't have the spirit, it means nothing. Spirit and truth. And so the good news for you tonight, though, is that God 
has provided the Holy Spirit to help you. Ezekiel 11, 19 through 20. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Here at Redeemer, we value highly the word of God, but at the same time, we understand that the word remains powerless to those who hear it without the spirit. We must, as one theologian says, we must plead that the Spirit of God will cause the Word of God to be obedience-producing and life-transforming. For when the truth does not humble us or lead us to worship, we are simply Belshazzar clones. Did you hear that? That's how you know there's genuine repentance. Is when the Spirit of God moves you to adore Christ even more and hate your sin leads to the last point, which is the inscription on the wall. What does God say? He declares, this is the last application, he declares that he has numbered the king's days, that he has weighed him on the scale, and he has judged him. And students, here's the writing on the wall for you tonight. God has numbered your days. And God will place you upon the scale of his righteousness and his law. And if you are found wanting, there is only judgment for you. If you are found lacking righteousness that you need to stand before God, there is only judgment for you. That's the application. You need perfect obedience in order to be weighed rightly before God. Belshazzar didn't have it. And so I think it's safe to say that everyone in here will be found wanting found lacking the very thing that they need to restore a relationship with God that is broken due to your pride and idolatry. And that very thing that you need is that not a thing, it's a person, and that's Jesus Christ. God has numbered your days. You will stand before God. The question is, will you stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ who came to this earth and died on the cross to take care of your sins so that you can be forgiven And God rose from the dead, Jesus, and he commands you to confess your pride and righteousness and to come to him. Belshazzar's life was taken that very night. He didn't even see it coming. And that's what sin does. Sin can make you dance on the brink of hell as though you were on the verge of heaven. Did you hear that? Sin can make you dance on the brink of hell as though you were on the brink of heaven. You may think you're going there, but really judgment is your only place unless you come to Jesus, unless you come to the slain lamb who died on the cross for your sins and receive grace and forgiveness and righteousness. It's a free gift. And God says that he opposes the proud and tonight through the word, he offers grace to those who humble themselves and cry out to them, to cry out to Jesus. And so here we learn, we end the dynasty of Babylon's kings, that pride comes before a great fall, and that our God is the one who is sovereign over all. He's the one who reigns. And I pray that you would bow to him now, today, in faith, rather than later.